knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Guys, this week I'm incredibly excited. I've got Ryan Kirby on with me, who is an incredible artist. I stumbled upon his work on Instagram, and he creates these informational graphics and videos based off of art that he has drawn. I, I was wildly attracted to it. I reached out to him, and uh, turns out he's just a massive deer nerd. And so we're talking this week about uh, the growth and maturity process of whitetails and where deer reach their maximum potential at, how to understand if a deer has reached its potential, um, and just nerding out on deer stuff. So, guys, I would highly encourage you to not only check out Ryan Kirby art, but tune into this week's episode as it is uh, wildly informational and very fun as we talk about some very cool stuff. As always, this week's episode is presented by our fantastic friends over at Scentlock. Proven deadly with their activated carbon technology for maximum odor absorption. It's absolutely phenomenal. Go check it out. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. All right. Well, I've got uh, Ryan Kirby here on the phone with me today. And um, let me just, I stumbled upon, I love informational type stuff. Like I love stuff that makes me a better hunter. Like mm -hmm. there's one thing about looking and watching guys, you know, like, man, they go on really cool hunts and I wish I could be them. And then there's another thing where people are putting out good informational content and you're like, this is legit. I like this guy because he makes me a better hunter. Um, and I stumbled upon your stuff and I'm like, man, how is he making this? Like, how is he making these informational videos and graphics? Come to find out you are making them. You're drawing them yeah. or painting <laughs> them or however it is you're doing it. Um, so before I jump in, give me an introduction to yourself. Like how you got to where you are, are now. Yeah, man. Um, I appreciate the opportunity. I'm Ryan Kirby and I'm a wildlife artist, um, illustrator, designer. That'd probably be the best way um, to explain myself. My, my degrees are in graphic design and multimedia. And then um, I, I basically have built a business doing fine art. So drawing, painting, I work oil on canvas, um, sketching, that kind of stuff. And we have some prints. Um, but the ones you're referring to is probably a whole episode, <laughs> which is yes. why we're here, I guess. Yeah. But, um, yeah, man, I, I grew up in a, a small town, uh, grew up bow hunting, fell in love with it, whitetails and, and, and deer, turkey, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then essentially I formed a career out of my passion and, and my ability. So, um, it's been a good run so far. Now, let me let me just well, I'll just do this. Um, first off, guys, like if you haven't checked out Ryan, what the heck's wrong with you? But um, like so this is what I'm talking about. Um, all of these things are uh, is this called drawn or is this painting or Yeah, all all those are hand drawn. Hand stinking drawn. Um, you look at this and you're like, "Man, that's really cool." And then you realize somebody took the time to draw that. Um, which is a whole nother level of like, holy crap, my mind is blown. But I seriously start, I mean, I started finding this informational type stuff on the growth of deer. And, you know, if you listen to a couple weeks episodes ago, uh, I was talking with Corey from Liberty Ranch and we were uh, talking about how to manage our property for deer. And so I've been on this kick about mature deer and growing mature deer and and what I need to give my deer and how old they need to get and you know all this all this stuff to to grow deer and so I stumbled upon Ryan and then I'm like man I love informational type stuff but his is way cooler than any I've ever seen 
Well, it turns out he's drawing it himself. And so um, all of these types of things, um, which I was just blown away by, showed my dad and he was like, yep, ordering it. Don't t- <laughs> I'm doing it now. Um, he's like, that'll be in my office this week. And so uh, just really cool stuff. And so um, what made you like, Thanks, where, where did you take this? This I'm an artist, but I'm a hunter. I want the two to collide. Where that? I mean, were you just sitting there yeah. one day and you're like, I can paint cold deer? <laughs> well, it's um. I, I mean, if, if you want to go way back, I mean, artists have been telling the story of of the hunt for a long time since cave art. Yeah. You know, um, and and th- there's a lot of people that talk about uh, why they depicted art on cave walls. I think they were a lot like us. I think they liked big deer and big elk, and I think they thought it was cool. Oh yeah. You know? And um, so the, the the connection between art and wildlife has run really strong. And even today, the market for wildlife art has always remained strong. Um, it's it's something art has raised a ton of months, money for conservation. So we were talking about Pope and Young. I got my start at the National Wild Turkey Federation, Ducks Unlimited, Rocky Mountain Elk. Over the years, art has been wildlife art specifically has been really tied to the conservation movement um to to you know one of my favorite artists carl rungius he was commissioned and a lot of those early artists before photography got to where it is now with digital photography they were commissioned by the history of natural science and or the museum of natural history and some places like that in new york to go to the wilderness and depict what that looked like and bring it back to the cities to encourage people to go explore and hunt and fish. And you really dive into the history of wildlife art and hunting, and they've really been tied. They've been synonymous for, for centuries. So that really is the nature of what I do. And what I try to do is contribute to the atmosphere of hunt camp um, to bring the outdoors indoors. And it, 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 it may seem like a, a difficult uh, stretch for a lot of people, but it's really probably the the core of who I've always been. You know, I grew up a farm kid. I've always hunted. I've always fished. I was way more excited about deer hunting and high school football than I ever was art when I was a kid, you know? Um, and then as I got older and got further into my career, the the union between hunting and art just has continued to, to, get stronger. Um, but go ahead. So where did this, where did this particular project come from? Like the one yeah. to, and I don't know if you have a name for the whole project. I, I, I believe you have a bundle, uh, on your mm-hmm. website, which would probably be the name of the project. The art of hunting bundle is what it's called. Um, yeah. where did that idea of that informational stuff come from? Well, it was, Four years ago is when I actually did that piece. And I have a company that represents me in in licensing, like home decor. And what they do is they manufacture products for the home. They approached me and wanted to to license some of my art for that stuff. And you can see a lot of that at Tractor Supply. That's our lineup at Tractor Supply. And I I was going down to High Point, North Carolina at a big show there to meet with them and really just walking around. And it's, it's funny. You, it's not a wildlife show at all. Like I got off the bus to go into this show and there's a bunch of Chinese dudes in suits that are there to buy like fabric. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is crazy. Yeah. Everybody there is either an interior designer or a wholesale furniture, home decor producer. Um, it, I, I really did not fit in all that well at all because it's a bunch of people that look like they from HGTV is basically all it is, the whole show. But you get to walk around and see what's cool in home decor, what kind of trends are out there, you know, what's going to hit the market next year in Target or Home Goods or wherever. And I saw uh, it was like a shadow box and it had the different species of butterflies. And it was it was one of those things that was kind of generic, like you'd see it in a hotel. But I thought, man, what what can I do with wildlife that could be kind of cool? And so I thought, 
well, the, the species of, of ducks, of waterfowl, ducks and geese and swans and everything. So I had this idea to produce a print of the waterfowl of North America species and then divvy them up by the flyways. And we've got a series of those too. And so that was the first part of this whole project. So I came back and I had a, a kid that was working for me. He had just graduated with his MBA. And we started kind of thinking about how we could do this as a project, as a print. He was running the numbers on everything. We were finding vendors to print it. And what I did is I sat down and I spent about a month and a half sketching duck heads. <laughs> so there's 44 waterfowl species. I, I I would go do design work and hit all my deadlines in the morning. And then I'd sketch about three to four waterfowl species a day. And so it took me a little over a month to do all that. And then I hired a designer. I'm, my degree is in graphic design. But I really liked the way I liked his style, like the way that he worked. He had some really cool other projects. And I thought, hey, man, I'm going to see if he if he'll be interested in designing this for me. So while I'm sketching, he's he's laying the thing out. And Cameron was where a lot of the sort of vintage vibe to it, the kind of vintage uh, uh, like a rough, old, faded pet paper texture, some of the fonts and things like that came into play. Once we had that one done, it came together really well. And I had worked with the biologists at Ducks Unlimited to find some of the species info, um, um, species counts, population counts, and things like that for the flyaways. And we finished that one around September. And I was thinking, man, what else could we do? I've got like another month before fall. I wonder if there's another type of a print we could do in this same vein. And while we're getting the waterfowl species printed, I could do something else. And so I thought, man, you know, the a, a lot of people are talking about how, how to age a whitetail on the hoof. Um, I didn't feel like any of them had done it well. Like there's some posters and stuff out there, but they they take photos of deer and it's right. really hard. It's almost impossible to get the same deer in a pose that shows off all those characteristics. And I thought, man, you know, I could go through and sketch all of the deer in in the exact same pose so you could get an apples to apples comparison of how they would grow and mature and so i had the idea of laying this print out you know I, i'm a deer dork myself so like i've read a bunch of books and you know i'm 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 in this just as much as anybody and i wrote the copy and then i wrote a bunch of information that i thought was pertinent and relevant and and kind of how this all pans out and from there I'm my own worst critic. And so I wanted to go to some professionals and say, Hey man, I think this is legit. I think it's cool. What do you think as a hunter, as a biologist, all that and see what you think. So I started working with, um, with some people, some buddies of mine, some people in the industry. And then eventually I got connected with, um, Kip Adams and Matt Ross from the NDA, it, which was QDMA at that time. Right. And they loved it. But they had some additional studies that had just come out that, like I'd never seen before. And they had some more stats and they had some more hardcore numbers, um, things like uh, how many things like the breeding activity for each age and um, stuff like that. So they really they really helped solidify a lot of the facts and the figures. Um, Cameron kind of rolled the whole thing together into a, a unique design piece. And then I provided all the art and some of the creative ideas. We actually worked with Boone and Crockett a little bit too, and they provided some stats. So everything on the print is, is I don't just rely on what I think or, you know, what I'd like to see. I really want to get all the correct facts and figures in there, at least the information we have currently to date. So that's how that whole thing came about, really. What was the, uh, what was the biggest, well, hold on. That's why I absolutely love these things because it's not just something really cool that's hanging in my house. It's something super informational that I know is accurate. I mean, it, yeah. the, the NDA doesn't stamp their approval on things if it's putting out, you know, bro science. Like this is yeah. this is scientific. This is accurate. This is all good, true information. And that's what's so cool about it. Um, so, you know, I I love taking new hunters. Uh, mm -hmm. I've actually got a new hunter that just came through and just left. And, uh, 
And this is something that I showed them. Like as we talk about shot placement, you know, I took him into my basement and here we have this gorgeous piece of functional art uh, that's hanging up and I could show him, well, look, look, here's the anatomy of a deer. And, and not only that, but Ryan goes into, um, you know, different angles of a deer and where you should shoot them and, and how the heart sits in there, you know. And so I literally took him to my wall and said, all right, dude, check this out. Um, this is what we're looking for. Um, this is, is where we want to shoot and why, because it's all laid out here. And I know that's accurate because it's got the stamp of NDA on it. And so, mm-hmm. you know, here we can take a look at this. And so, um, just something really cool, um, you know, not only to grab people's attention, but, but also, um, informational type stuff. Uh, you know, yeah. I encourage everybody if you, I don't care if you've been hunting for 40 years before the season starts, look at the anatomy of a deer. Like, just look at it and remind yourself where you're shooting and why. Uh, so this is a constant in my house, like, really cool, beautiful piece of artwork. But also, it teaches me. Um, yeah. What was the, as you worked on this project, uh, let, let, let's specifically talk about the uh, the growth uh, of, okay. of the of the white tail growth of maturity. What was the biggest thing that you're like, oh, crap, I never knew that. Like, you know, that, yeah, that's there, cool to know. Well, you know, I, I knew a lot of the the basics, um, and when you when you have to draw these things, you you really start to go down rabbit holes. So it's one thing to talk about how a deer's neck swells during the rut; it's another thing to have to accurately draw it, like compared to a one and a half year old, to see how that works. You know, so the whole thing was a a big learning process for me. And it's just like anything you 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 think you might think you know something, and then you really start to research it. And you really start to go down those rabbit holes and 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 pick it apart, put it back together, and you learn how much you don't know about anything. <laughs> a, a lot of it, man, was the the biggest one. And some of the infographic stuff that we that I, I post on social is is basically so people know it's parts of that print. So it's the art and the the type. Either I wrote the type, or it came from a, a study done by a conservation group or something. Um, so the, the type and the, the art is already baked and then I just repurpose it. You can animate some of that stuff. Um, Instagram reels makes it easy cause you can put cool, you know, music over about anything and make it, make it more cool. But, um, I would say some of the breeding and, um, home range characteristics of young deer was the biggest one to me. Uh, you know, a lot of people will, they know that that deer around four and a half, a lot of them will go more nocturnal. They'll limit their daytime movement a lot where they're harder to kill. They're harder to see in daylight. That That's a no brainer versus a year and a half old who's running willy nilly all over the place. But, um, you know, the like one of the stats that sticks out of my head is that 50 to 75 percent of, of the year and a half old deer, they've left their mom. You know, they've been with their, their mom as, as fawns that first year, but they've left their mother and 50 to 75 percent of them will relocate between a mile and five miles that following year. So a lot of the deer that you have come in as one and a halfers are, are new deer. Um, you know, they're setting up their home range. They're, there's a lot of dispersal that goes along there. Um, another thing is how much they breed, you know, 50, 30, 33 percent, roughly a third of your does are going to be bred by year and a half old and two year old bucks. And that's in it. All of these numbers come from a healthy, well-managed deer herd. And you think about that and you, like I always thought in my head, you know, three, four and five year olds did most of the breeding and those little year and a halfers and two and a half years just stuck their head down in the food plot and didn't really try to, didn't really get any action, you know, but they're breeding a third of your does. Um, yeah. Another thing is how how little development, how little um, antler potential those deer those deer have achieved in their first three years of life, and they really haven't achieved much potential until they hit four, five, and six. So, which is why, again, I would highly encourage you. Um, you know, a few weeks ago we dove in to really how to manage a property um, with Corey Corson. Um, but we talk a whole lot about, you know, just because a, a, a deer at two and a half, you know, doesn't show great time length. And so you're like, well, should I kill it to get it off the property? Because it's never going to have great time length. No, 
uh, because that deer is, isn't showing a fourth of its potential yet. Yeah. Uh, so give it time, let it grow, let it mature and let it see what it comes out to be. Uh, because that, that, that two and a half year old deer that doesn't show time length might blow up to be a 180. I mean, you, you mm-hmm. really have no way of knowing that. Um, so, but the, going back to, to our, to another point that I, I wanted to make real quick, um, about your, your rut activity. That's another thing that I think a lot of people, um, mistake, if you will, um, mm-hmm. is that your young deer, you know, you, you sit and watch and, and on an observation set or, or, you know, you're, you're sitting in your tree saying you see rut activity, you know, those one and a half year olds are acting shy almost. And, you know, a lot of times you, it's the same thing you said, you think mate, well, maybe they're just not developed yet and they're not breeding your does. So they're not, you know, really, I think the the majority of it is they're shy because, you know, they're, they're being pushed around by those five and a half, six and a half year old deer. And so they're not just coming out guns blazing, chasing does, yeah. um, but they're catching those does alone and they're breeding the does. Um, but, but again, that goes back to why we try to kill those six and a half year old, seven and a half, eight and a half year old deer. It has nothing to do with their antlers, but you're giving your your younger deer more room to breed does by taking out your older mature bucks that are past their prime. Well, and the the thing that stuck out to me, and you know, I've I've heard the you know the like a lot of guys still buy into cold deer. I think there there yeah. may be some science to that. I I think um, Grant Woods had a book. And he talked about high fences a lot. And I didn't understand this at the time until I read his book. But even in high fences, it's really hard to micromanage those genetics. And oh my gosh, a lot yes. of the, the high fences are designed to keep inferior genes out, not to keep the deer in. Right. And you, you think about that, you know, that two and a half year old that just hasn't expressed much potential. Well, let's like, for example, I filmed a year and a half old breed of doe under my tree this year in, in November when I went back to Illinois and I put that on social media and, and put some of the stats that I had learned laying out the growth and maturity print. And you think about that. Okay. At a year and a half old, there's no way to know what his potential is. He's just a little basket rack. There's no way to know what genetics the doe is carrying. And she's got 50% of those genes. So you have no idea what they produced. There's also does can be be bred by multiple bucks. So you don't know what kind of genetics are in there. And even then say, say the dream scenario happens where your booner breeds the perfect doe and they, they make, you know, the perfect genetically bred buck. Well, the statistics show that chances are he's leaving the next year. He's leaving your property and he's going to go one to five miles away to another property. So, you know, guys want to like shoot a shoot an eight pointer to get those genes out of the herd or whatever. Well, chances are there's a year and a half old carrying eight point genes that you don't like. And he's sliding in overnight and breeding your does anyway. Chances are the does are carrying some of those genes like the the gene the pool the gene pool is very muddy for whitetails like it's almost impossible to just say that's my breeder buck on this property if 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 you're hunting average size free range deer herds like most of us are it, it's it's impossible to even try to go there so it really goes back to letting a deer mature letting him express his full potential and managing for the overall health of the herd and you know, a lot of guys, they just want to look at the antlers, but man, the health of that doe, the, 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 the habitat that she's raising fawns in is massively beneficial to growing bigger deer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, uh, it's one of those, it's again, it's one of those things that can get very complicated and you can go as far down the rabbit hole as you want, but really managing for high quality habitat and letting deer grow is like the always about the best thing you can do yeah and that's you know that's essentially exactly what me and Corey alluded to um you, you watch all these studies and you hear all these well down in texas they had a hundred thousand acre ranch and mm-hmm. you know there's so much that plays into that um habitat protein sources uh water sources you know how much moisture is there how much how much um uh, 
energy they have to expend to get the protein that they're getting. You know, I mean, there's so much things that go into this. And, you know, on the on the studies that say, yes, we believe calling deer works because in 10 years, we took an average of 120 inch uh, buckard to 140 inch buckard. Again, are they growing 20 inches in 10 years because you're calling out the smaller deer or because you've started pumping $60,000 worth of protein into them? <laughs> You know, where's the growth, where's the growth coming from? You know, I mean, there's so many things that that come into that, but yeah, yeah, I do believe that, like you said, it all comes down to waiting for a buck to reach maturity of that seven and a half, eight and a half. And again, that's different depending on where you're at, but, Mm -hmm. um, waiting for that buck to reach its, its maturity and then harvesting it, letting it live its life and then harvesting it will produce bigger and better bucks. Yep. Well, what is it? We, we talked a little bit. Um, I was talking with a buddy about how like the, the maturity has a, has been pushed back a lot. You know, at first it was like, everybody was just trying to get them three and a half. Like that was the magic number. Yeah. And it's just because nobody was patient. Yeah. And you know, really over the past few years, I think people have seen it pay off and we're kind of in the golden age of deer management. I feel like, and now Guys are waiting until five and a half and six and a half and and stuff like that. So, and I, I think um, NDA has kicked out some numbers. The average age of a deer that's harvested is getting older too, like across states and a- across the country, not just within little pockets of hunting clubs and stuff like that. Right. No, you're you're absolutely correct. And and you know, again, that's what that's what you have to understand is like my deer are not going to reach the same potential, the same age potential as a deer in North Carolina. And the yeah. deer in North Carolina are not going to reach the same age potential as the deer in, you know, Nevada. I mean, they're going to be completely different. And, and we have to understand that, like, and, and expect that, that, you know, it's not one size fits all when it comes to deer. And, mm-hmm. and it's the same as as genetically, you know, you look at people from across the world. I mean, people are different size, shapes, uh, body weights, and I'm not even gonna try to get into this, but I mean, if you look at, <laughs> a, if you look at average height and weight for Iceland, it's going to be different right. than average height and weight for the United States of America. Yeah. Same with China and Japan and Russia. It's going to be different. The same yeah. is true with your deer. Um, deer are growing, going to grow different, different parts of the world. And we have to understand that, but there are, there is an overlying umbrella. What is that? Um, oh, I'm trying to get back to your picture quick. At the top of the of the picture, there's a heat map uh, put yeah. out by put out by um, Boone and Crockett. Yep, uh, and and that shows that what is it? Five and a half. Yep, five and a half is the uh, is the average age of a Boone. And gotcha. you know, I, I don't know. In when I was working with with uh, Kip and Matt, they were saying that. Typically, a buck has reached 95 to 100% of his potential at five and a half and six and a half. I don't know whether that five and a half is the peak that produces a booner or that's just the, it was just a big deer and somebody killed it at five and a half. If those booners would, you know what I'm saying? I don't know for a fact, and I'm not sure if anybody knows whether or not they would have gotten bigger at six and a half. Or just that's when most of those big deer get shot in the Boone and Crockett books. You see what I'm saying? I'm not sure if those Boone and Crockett potential deer right. top out at five and a half or that's just when they got shot. But yeah, they well, said it, five and a half is the average. And that's what, you know, you think about it. I mean, there's people that's killed a Booner that was three and a half years old. Yeah. And, you know, had they shot that deer in, at three and a half, it was a 180 inch buck. And then had they shot it at five and a half, it would have been a 210 inch buck. I mean, you just, you never know that. Um, but on average nationally, Boone and Crockett's five and a half year old deer. Um, so that that gives you a good, a good line in the sand of, if we want to look at a national average, if we want to look at, you know, where bucks reach their potential. And again, if we want bucks to get past their potential before we start harvesting them, now they're on the downhill side at six and a half, seven and a half, eight and a half, uh, that, that deer that I just shot in Oklahoma, you know, he was seven and a half years old, uh, seven and a half years old. Plus, uh, you know, could have been eight and a half. Uh, it didn't have a tooth left in his head, uh, big bully of a deer, you know, treating all the three and a half, two and a half year olds, <laughs> deer, you know, pushing them off and, and, and 
that's the definition of a deer that needs to be shot yeah. in order to grow a, a bigger and better herd because you have a, s- a seven and a half plus year old deer taking away protein, taking away habitat, taking away does away from your healthy four and a halfs that, that you want to grow to be bigger and better. Um, and so that's, that's what it all comes down to. Yeah. Those bully deer, man, I'm always a fan of shooting them and coyotes. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> what is, uh, what's the biggest, that number one, as you, as you did this study, yeah. what was that number one thing that stood out to you as far as if guys will learn this, then they'll be able to best identify a deer's age on the hoof. Not, not, I mean, I understand if we look at every single factor, yep. that would be the very best way. Um, but what's the easiest? Like, you know, if you look at their sway of their back or their drop of their belly or their tarsal glands or their, what stood out to you as the easiest way to, to identify a deer's age? I, man, to me, I feel like it is the, it's, it's the sway of the back, the round rump and the stained tarsal. There's a lot. It, it, it is, it is sometimes hard deer to deer and it is, man, it's hard. Very much so. When those deer swell, um, during the rut, I, I, for example, I literally just looked at a, at a, at a trail cam picture earlier today, um, a place on my farm in Illinois, deer's probably upper one forties, maybe hundred percent. He's three and a half when I look at him in October and I literally just looked at a picture the other day in mid-November, and it's like, dang, he's at least four, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, yeah. W- and when we did the print, we we designed I designed it to be um, a, a comparison from age to age of like a, a single deer specifically. So, for example, when you look at the print, if you go to that five and a half year old, well, that five and a half year old in South Carolina is not going to look the same as the five and a half year old in Wisconsin. We know that he's going to be bigger, all that kind of stuff. But comparatively, you know, that South Carolina deer should should still have some belly sway, some rounded rump, stained tarsals, all that kind of stuff. And if you compare that to a two and a half year old in South Carolina, you should see those same comparisons. Now everything in the North is just going to be bigger. Right. Um, But a lot of guys talk about the, uh, the, the, where the neck meets the brisket. And to me, that is a hard one because you have to have the perfect apples to apples. That deer has to be standing level, not mid stride, none of that kind of stuff. Um, it can't be turned. Like, I mean, it can be turned. It can be bristled up. You really need a good, solid photo of that to compare that and, and measure that. Um, but to, so, but to, for me, the the back sway, um, the rounded rump, and the stained tarsals. And the stained tarsals is something I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to until I started working and getting, you know, bouncing ideas off of some of those guys. And if you look at the print, one of the reasons that I sketched those deer in that exact position is to show off all of those attributes. So, for example, one leg is kicked back where you can see the tarsal gland on every deer. Um, the 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 head is looking out so that you can see how the the width of that neck compares to the the skull um the the deer's the deer are all broadside so you can see where the neck comes into that brisket um you know you can see the rounding of the rump and once you really start to look i i've noticed this and i am absolutely not an expert or the world's greatest bow hunter not even close but I've started to notice some things when, when you start to look at these things collectively, you start to pick them up on a deer. Like I just, right. Three and a half. He's got a little bit angled rump and eh, those tarsals aren't stained. You know, you, you, you tend to, it's like anything, the, the more you pay attention to it, the better you tend to get at it. You can, you can almost look and it's like, I don't quite know how I can tell, but all of these things are like calculating in my mind behind the scenes. And you can just kind of look and tell. But, but again, man, the only real way that, that I know to do it, um, hundred percent is to just keep track of the deer year to year on your farm. Um, there's, there's a buck on our place on my parents' place in Illinois. And, uh, two years ago, I killed a big deer, um, a Boone and Crockett deer. And then I was trying to shoot a doe afterwards. And 
I was hunting on the edge of a bean field and this buck came out and you could just tell he was two and a half. Like everything about him just said two and a half. And he just had that little, you know, two and a half year old frame. But man, he had he had a couple splits on his brow tines and had a little bit of mass and he sit kind of high. And I was like, I was looking at him at, through my binoculars at 30 yards, just looking at all of his rack and everything. I was like, man, he's going to be a stud. And then I noticed he was missing half his left ear and the fur kind of rolled around and it, it produced like a, a cotton ball on the end of his ear. So he's got half of an ear and it's white on the end of it. And um, I was like, man, that's going to be cool to watch that deer grow up because there is no mistaking this deer at all. And yeah. I've been able to watch him year to year at three and a half, at four and a half. And I've been able to shoot him every year. And it's going to be cool. I can't wait to see what he turns into next year at five and a half. Cool. But a deer like that, of course, you can peg him every time. Um, and you're going to shoot him at five and a half. That's what's going to happen. I, I mean, I really how, thought how big you think he is now? Four and a half. But he just, he honestly, I, I feel like he's the exact same size rack inch wise really? as he was at three and a half. And, and that just goes back to show like that just because you see a deer at three and a half and you're like, holy crap. He's got everything to be a big deer. Yep. Doesn't mean he's going to be. And yeah. and the whole idea, dude, I've heard Matt Ross himself say, I've seen Forkies grow up to be 180s. Yeah. I've seen it. Um, you, you have to let deer reach maturity. Um, before we move on, I, I got to give a shout out to my friends over at Boning. I love building arrows. That's like, that's, that's where my artistic nature comes in is building <laughs> arrows. I love it. I go out to my garage, to my bow shop area, and I just build arrows. That's what I do for fun. It's what I do to relax. Um, Boning has all the tools you need to build your own arrows, as well as all the components to build your own arrows. Um, most everybody is familiar with the blazer vein, most sold vein and archery. Um, however, they've got veins and wraps for everything. No matter what you're shooting, indoor, 3D, hunting, they've got veins for everything. I am a personal huge fan of a four-fletch with a three-inch Bronco. I would highly encourage you to check out Boning. They also have some really cool Fred Bear branded products with their Fred Bear camo wraps and Fred Bear flannel wraps. So go check out Boning. Um, what is uh, what was the information you found out surrounding the head uh, when looking at, now? That's something that's hard for hunters because the moment they look at the head, it's they look at the antlers. Um, and, and you cannot judge the age of a deer off antlers, no matter what, no matter what anybody tells you. That's just a myth. No matter, I mean. Anyways, yeah. Um, so, so what you learn about the head when you're looking at the head of an animal? Uh, how to judge off of, off the head? Well, the 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 forehead is going to be darker on a mature deer. Um, the they're going to start to exhibit that Roman nose that they talk about a lot. Um, they're going to be a little bit more gray. Um, one of the big things too is they're going to the 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 width of the neck on a big mature deer is in, during the rut is going to be wider than the, the, the frame of the head. Whereas, you know, one and a half year old deer is going to be slender going to look like a doe with antlers, but overall they're just going to be bigger, you know, more filled out. Um, a lot of times they get darker, you know? Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of differences in the head. Um, the, the bases typically are going to be bigger. So the basal circumference of the antlers is going to grow, whether or not the the overall rack size gets that much bigger, they're going to get more heavier. They're going to get heavier. They're going to get more massive. Um, so there's quite a few things. I, I also think too, I've noticed a lot of deer from year to year, there are characteristics that, that are in the head that can help you identify a deer from year to year too. They may be blind in one eye. That happens a lot. I've seen a lot of deer with a notch out of their ear. So the, the head and neck area can also carry some physical characteristics that can help you spot a deer year to year and help them help identify now, if they, them. If they don't, if a deer doesn't have something just absolutely blatant, like the, the ear you were just talking about, um, mm -hmm. how do you, that's, that's a question I get a lot. It's like, Dylan, how do you know that's the same deer? Like, how do you yeah. even know? Um, how do you judge or not judge? How do you, um, identify a deer I, year to year yeah the i actually um so i i've once i started working with kip and matt i've really followed them and and followed their careers and and listened to those guys um the guys from the msu deer lab 
I, I follow a lot and listen. I, I'm more of a dear dork than probably anybody you ever meet. Um, unless you're that way, you might be more. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, man, I would like to say I am, but uh, I'm not. Yeah. Well, I have to. I have to study a lot of it for my career anyway, and you end up picking up on stuff like that. But um, I they were on an Onyx um, app like a, a Q&A, like a seminar on how to yeah. age here. And so I watched that and I asked in the comments afterwards, I was like, is there any, you know, characteristics that will, will, will go from year to year? And Kip said that the overall shape of the rack is the biggest thing. You know, deer are going to add more mass. They're going to, they're going to add some, some points and maybe some carries here and there. there. But overall, like if you have a rack that sits high and tight, he's always going to be high and tight. He's never going to go wide the next year. Um, the way the the beams on a buck kick up, a lot of times you see that in a deer. And and really those deer score really well. If the beams come out and then kick up at the end, usually get a couple. Kind of like that one, kind of like that one behind you. Yeah. Yeah, like him. So like this deer here, he might um He's probably going to add a, a tine or two. You know, he was a nine trying to be a 10 really hard. So, like, he he's he may go from an eight to a nine to a 10. Um, but the overall shape of his rack is going to stay the same. Right. And the brow tines, too. I've always heard that. I've, I've seen that quite a bit. If a, if a buck just has really great brow tines or really crap brow tines, they're probably always going to be that way. Um, yeah. But they say, oh, he's a property shape of the rack. I've got a property here in Kansas and uh, it never, I've hunted it now for four years and I've never seen a buck with good brow tines ever. Really? And, and, and that just goes to show, I mean, the the bucks that are in there, you know, obviously those genetics have been round, around long enough to weed out the other genetics of good brow tines. Mm -hmm. um, now, before you get in the comment section and start saying, well, Dylan, last episode you talked about excursion bucks and how, I understand all that, <laughs> but I'm just telling you, um, the deer that are on this property just don't have good brow genetics. Um, yeah. now I'm not saying that, you know, an excursion buck's not going to come on from a property next door and just have crazy brow tines. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the genetics on this property haven't, haven't held good brow tines. Um, and I, I honestly didn't know that. I didn't know that. I, I never put the two together that once they have bad brow tines, they're just going to have bad brow tines. Yeah. Well, and, and it, that may be a, a, a region wide thing, you know, it's yeah. probably not just on your property. It's probably going to be several properties in that that whole area right yeah um, but the the deer so two years ago i killed a really big deer and we had pictures of him in in early december and he moved in on my parents place on early december he's probably 170 inch deer and he uh he stayed on us all through the winter he dropped his antlers like late march and then the following year we didn't have a single picture of him and i ended up killing him on november 4th and he went 203 and five eights gross and he was 195 and an eight net. But he put he put on like 30 inches. And I sent his teeth off to get the um the uh cementum uh measure, you know, where you can send them off to the lab. And they said he was six and a half. So between five and a half and six and a half, he put on 30 inches of angler. And if you look at if you look at his shed compared to his his final rack, you'd think there's no way, no way that's the same deer. But then, and I thought the same thing. But then you start looking at it, and it's like, man, this there's a flat spot on his G2, and rarely, do, you know, usually antlers are like a cylinder. Well, this guy had he had a flat spot there, and then the shape of his rack, and he had a kicker coming off the inside of the beam, and you look, and the shape of the rack is identical. He grew some trash. He put on a ton of mass. He put on inches everywhere. But the overall shape, the way the tines come off the beams, the way the beams wrap around, all that kind of stuff. So that's cool. Yeah, they were saying that the the overall shape of the wrap rack is is the biggest one. Yeah, um, I feel like that's hard in a place like North Carolina that's just covered in 120 inch eight pointers. Do you have any bears where you hunt in North Carolina? Uh, yeah, we. I've seen a lot more since we've moved here. We, we've been here about 10 years and I feel like there's more now. We have black bears, um, you know, guys hunting with dogs. Uh, we've had one run across our property one time. 
on the like physically seen a bear, I've probably only seen three or four. Really? See, I've got a slight bear hunting addiction. Like I love yeah. bear hunting. Um, I, I just become obsessed with it. And, and I've been trying to uh, to talk my wife into a North Carolina vacation. I'm like, dude, yeah. you go on the lighthouse tours, you go to the beach, I'll be, I'll be bear hunting. Like it's a win win for everybody. And and I haven't got yeah. her to buy into that yet, but I'm like, come on, you're talk all about Nicholas Sparks and lighthouses, and you can go do <laughs> you can go do your thing, and I'll be shooting bears. Like, yeah. well, you need to go to the coast because that's where they're at. You know that already, I'm sure. Yeah, she'll be like I said. I, we, we can stay in the same hotel. She'll go out and look yeah. at lighthouses. I'll go out and find bears and kill them. You know, I've got some buddies that. in Wilmington, and they where they kill some big bears down there. I actually, I actually got her to buy into that very thought for Maine. I'm like, you've always wanted to go to Maine and do the lighthouse tours. So, like, let's drive up and we'll do the lighthouse tours, and then we'll go bear hunting. And uh, so that was that was by far the best vacation ever because she got to do her thing and then I got to go kill a big old bear. So um, that's awesome, dude. That's how that's how it goes, man. But um, what's your number one? Go ahead. That's one of the reasons that that um, we bought some property in Hancock County uh, where my parents are, so we can take the kids back and pawn them off on the grandparents and, and uh, have a little bit of vacation. Then I can do hands and stuff. There you go. I asked all of my guests, what's a what's a hunting 101 tip you've got for us? Fred Bear was big on his field notes. Uh, so I like mm-hmm. to ask my guests, you know, what's one thing that I can take and make myself a better hunter with? So as far as aging deer, uh, deciding if it's a mature deer, deciding if you should shoot it or not, what's your tip on judging whitetails? Well, this is totally personal experience. It has nothing to do with art or anything, but That's what if I like. you... If you have any question, don't shoot it <laughs> because there you go. It, if I've ever seen a deer and I'm thinking, I don't know, is he ah, just, man, I think he's, I, you know, and I've, I've, I've killed a couple big deer now. So my thoughts are different on this, but like earlier, just a few years ago, I was like, Hey man, if a 140 inch eight pointer comes out, I'm whacking it. That That's happening. Yeah. You know? So I'm like, ah, is he a 140? I don't know. I just, uh, I, man, don't let this one walk. If you're doing that at all, just don't shoot. Because if your goal is to try to shoot something bigger than that, you've got to get to the the no questions asked. Like, oh yeah, I'm shooting him. <laughs> that that yeah. those are the ones that that you don't want to hesitate. If you're trying to talk a deer into being bigger than he is, you're, you're going to regret it. And I don't think you should regret shooting a deer. I don't, I don't want to be that guy at all. If it makes you happy. Awesome. Yeah. I've got a six year old boy and we are about to wear out some spikes, man. When he, when he, when he goes hunting, you know, and we'll, we'll get there eventually. But like, so it depends on what you're looking for and where you're at. But if you are trying to shoot a certain certain caliber of deer and you are trying to talk yourself into shooting that deer or that he's big enough, just don't do it because it's not going <laughs> to. Absolutely. Uh, or 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 if you send a picture to your wife and she's like, seriously, you're going to shoot that little dink? That's a good, that's a good indication. Too. I've done that. Is that personal experience? A hundred percent it is. Yeah, definitely. It is. <laughs> definitely it is. And I said, well, I mean, he's getting me a little fired up. I said, I need you to talk me off the ledge. She said, don't yeah. shoot the first, the first week of season. Don't shoot it. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> you're right. Um, I've got two. Um, I came into this with the idea of optics, binoculars. Yeah. Um, if you really want to be able to better judge a deer and decide, <laughs> should I shoot this deer or not? When he's 20 yards away is not the time to decide. Because yeah. usually what I find is when I wait till he's at 20 yards, I'm like, dude, he's a stinking buck. Let's kill him. Yeah. And I shoot him. <laughs> but if I have a good set of binoculars with me and, and I'm, I'm looking at him when he's 200 yards away and I've got, you know, I've got the 20 minutes to decide if I want to shoot him or not. Then by the time he gets there, I've already decided and the temptation is not there and I make smarter decisions. Uh, yeah. So invest in a good set of binoculars. I'm a huge fan of Koa optics. I understand they're a little pricey for some people, uh, but they're phenomenal Japanese glass. So that's, I choose to go with that because I like to look at every detail of every antler that I can. Um, But invest in a good set of binoculars and look at that deer 200 yards away. Um, I don't mean to sound graphic here, but you know, I tell my daughter, if you wait until you're in the back of the car with the guy to make sure your morals are there, they're not going to be there. You have to know, 
far in advance what you're going to do and how you're going to handle yourself. The same is true with deer. And, and I know that's a stretch, but the same is true with deer. If I'm watching that deer from 200 yards and I'm looking at every piece of his antler and I'm looking at the sway of his belly and his back and how his head turns and I'm looking at his tarsal glands, I'm looking at the patch on his forehead. If I'm looking at all those things 200 yards away, I've already made my decision. And then when he gets there, I'm like, you know, he's three and a half. I need to pass him. Mm -hmm. uh, but if I wait till he's there and I look at him, I'm like, oh, dude, he's got horns. Let's kill him. Um, <laughs> that That's me. Like, seriously, dude, I get fired up and I yeah. shoot him. Uh, so, so have a good set of binoculars. Now, my life tip is this. I applaud Ryan for this. But whatever you like to do, add value to that industry. Ryan is a passionate bow hunter and mm -hmm. he has added value value to the bow hunting community by giving them informational stuff that they can hang in their house and, and it be beautiful and be proud of and catch the attention of people. And, you know, now non hunters can come in and they'll look at this as art and I can, you know, then I can make the transition into hunting. And, you know, we're not just savage animals. We, we care about the animals and look how much we care about. I mean, so add value to the industry that you're a part of. And, uh, and, and truly I applaud Ryan for doing that, uh, because he's taken his passion and he's added value to it. And so Ryan, uh, from the bottom that. of my heart, man, really uh, good job. I, I appreciate that. And, um, you know, one of the things that I feel like I've got the unique role of is like contributing to the atmosphere of hunt camp and, and to your point, I really do want to take, like my dad was a farmer, and my mom was a postmaster. Like it doesn't run in my family. It really is a God-given gift. And I I don't take that lightly. And I feel like I really do want to contribute to the the atmosphere of, of hunting and bow hunting and all that that's given to me. I, I really would like to give back to that overall. That's awesome, man. Where can they find you at? Um, Instagram is where I'm most active currently. Um, it's at Ryan Kirby art and then ryankirby.com is my website. Guys go check him out. I promise you, promise you, you won't be disappointed. I, um, I literally went to Hobby Lobby, which as an artist, you're probably like, crap, dude, you bought a piece of crap frame for my art. <laughs> um, what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, but, but I literally ran to Hobby Lobby cause I was so fired up, um, yeah. about, about how cool these things are, which I still need to send you some pictures of them, uh, hanging in my basement, yeah, but um, guys go check them out, but I do have to give a shout out to my guys over at minus 33 Merino wool, no matter where you hunt. We've talked a lot about different areas, minus 33 and Merino wool is a fantastic thing to have. I am a huge fan of Merino. I wear it in the mountains. I wear it in the whitetail woods. I wear it daily on my feet and in my underwear. Um, I love Merino and minus 33 just does it really, really well. So I'd highly encourage you. If you're in the market for base layers or Merino, um, or you've just never even tried Merino, I would highly encourage you to try minus 33. Um, it's a very high quality Merino and sourced right here in the United States of America. I absolutely love it. Go check out minus 33 Merino wool, but guys, thanks for listening. Y'all have a great week and a very, very, very happy new year from myself and from everybody at bear archery. Peace.